Welcome into this week's edition, albeit a little bit late, of AWA Unleashed. We are the self-proclaimed preeminent number one podcast dedicated to reliving the memories and telling the stories of the American Wrestling Association. And today, we truly do live up to that moniker because we have got maybe one of the most in-demand shows that takes you through a lot of the memories, some of the most uh, famous and unforgettable moments in the history of the American Wrestling Association, and that is the, some of the memories of all-star wrestling. Now, I will say this is going to be part one of two. So if your moment, if you submitted it, and we got a lot of submissions to awaunleashedpodcast at gmail.com. If you've got any suggestions, you got an idea, hit us up there. But we got a lot of suggestions. So Mick and, and Joe and I, we put together this list. Well, m- mostly Mick, but I like to take credit because it's, it's what I do. I'm a piggybacker. I, I like to ride the coattails. Uh, that being said, two guys that I do ride the coattails of is uh, Mick Karch and Polish Joe. And guys, thank you for doing the work today. Hey, how's it going? Good. You know, if you, if you ride our coattails, pal, you're in for a bumpy road. I mean, this is uh, hang hang on tight because but they're so big. They're big coattails. I just hope you've got protection. I'm not gonna raw. Never, Never mind. Wow. <laughs> okay, so uh, just as a Ed, before we get started, just as a caveat to what you said, Chris, uh-huh. uh, these are in no particular order because when people think about all-star wrestling, they don't think in any chronological order. Oh, I remember this. I remember this. Hey, what about? So that's kind of the way we did this as well. And it just uh, kind of pops up like one kind of adds to another, adds to another, yeah. adds to another. Is that? I mean, that's kind of. I think that's how most people work. I mean, wouldn't you say, Joe? I agree. I agree. I mean, we're 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 presenting memories. We're not we're not an Encyclopedia Britannica. What? By the way, do those even exist anymore? I mean, what the hell you need an encyclopedia for? Hey, Joe, 1984 nope. called. They want their pop culture reference back. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't hear you. I got to go take my Geritol or Gerispeed. <laughs> Gerispeed, yeah. <laughs> Don't you just know, do and, power and, and get it over with. Oh God, that that be the end all. Uh, the the one thing that we should also remind people who may have been misled thinking we're going to have footage, we can't. You know, we've, no. we've explained this before. We can't do it. We don't own it. We cannot legally, we cannot legally play that. We do not own it. And, and out of respect for the individuals that do, well, plus I just don't want a lawsuit, but it's, it's the right thing to do. So we can talk about it, but yes, we, there's only so far we can go with it. Well, yeah. and I, ha- I have to add in there that some of the, angles or some of the situations that we're going to be talking about today don't exist and that's true anymore back that's in those point, days if it, if it was live Vern didn't record a lot of those shows and then when he did record a lot of them were recorded over for yeah. future shows because the videotape keeping in mind I mean back into the 60s we're talking about two inch videotape a huge real those were expensive as hell and Vern didn't want to spend the money on it he probably could have afforded it and in hindsight he should have but that's just unfortunately the way the AWA did their video production it was just the live show well the the house shows was really that all that mattered the TV show is just it was a commercial 
it was an infomercial for yeah. the upcoming uh, event. And, and, and I will say, in Vern's defense to that, Joe, that I feel like that's just the way that a lot of promotions worked when you're going from market to market. You, you're giving these people the tape, the reel, the video, whatever. You, you don't know that you know, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, people are going to want to see that. So you're just, you're thinking week to week, but I think that was fairly common for pretty much any territory. Well, I mean, when you're in the sixties, it was really just sort of, I don't want to say the start of television, but yeah. back in that time, the, the thought of reruns and the foresight to know what we have today. And that's where you can watch anything and everything pretty much at will on YouTube or Hulu or, or Tubi, whatever the hell you've got. It, it just, there was no thought of, hey, let's keep this. Maybe down the road we can replay this on another TV show. It, that, it did not matter to the AWA and quite frankly to others. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, like even the early um, Tonight shows with Johnny Carson yeah. and Jack Parr, those were live. They were not recorded. And so they're lost forever. Yeah. So that, and combined with the fact that we don't own this footage, and hey, little caveat, if you really want to try to see a lot of this stuff, I would say the majority of what we're going to go over today, just search it up on YouTube, and yeah. somebody has posted it on there. Yep. There yeah. you well, before we get to, uh, to that, I do want to thank our sponsors, uh, Soda Stick. They're the home where you can get your AWA Unleashed swag. Uh, we've got the t-shirts. We still got the hoodies, but the t-shirts right now, because we're in summertime, uh, go to sodastickco.com. Uh, let me get the, let me get that right there. Okay. You'll see it right there in the bottom of the screen. Use the promo code unleashed for 15% off. You can get your, you know, get your AWA unleashed t-shirts, still have them available. And also if you're like me and you like body by pizza, no better pizza than seventh Avenue pizza. Uh, just go to 7thAvenuePizza.com, and it's uh, pretty much all over the metro area. I want to thank uh, Matt and everybody at 7th Avenue for um, for their support, you know, for the last year and a half. We got we got more things going, guys. I mean, we got things we just haven't had a chance to, to work on because of schedules. Before we get into it, uh, I know it's been uh, about a week, maybe a little over a week, Mick, and we lost – another legend and this one i don't know if there's anybody that maybe has transformed themselves from so hated to so beloved i mean the the wrestling personality and the pop culture i can't they're like two completely different people but the the one and only iron sheet you know, every week we say, boy, we, don't, we hope we don't have to do this again next week uh, because this seems to be a recurring theme. We're losing so many, so many of the legends from uh, the bygone era. But the Iron Sheik, as you said, what a great descriptor there, Chris, because this guy may have been the single most hated villain in the history of wrestling. And that's Khosro Vaziri, the Iron Sheik. That, of course, is one of his... Uh, Olympic pictures right before he got started with Vern Gagne's training camp uh, way back in the early 70s. And then on the right, the most recent uh, photos of Iron Sheik. You can't say enough about this guy. You hear the term legend over and over again. But honest to God, 
Khazar Vaziri, considering where he was, what he came to uh, or what he came with to this country, uh, you know, his his small beginnings and then, you know, a champion just all over the place. And then to transform himself into the American hating, you know, ah, pooey, United States, USA, whatever. It's just incredible. And uh, I love the guy. I know Kaz from the time he got into the business and his feud with Hulk Hogan, of course, legendary, one of the greatest transforming feuds in the mm-hmm. history of wrestling. Changed the business. So yeah. God bless you, Cosmo. Let, let, let me ask you one thing about the Iron Cheek when it comes to that, Joe, before or uh, Mick, before you, you step in, Joe. Would, and I know that's WWF, would it have happened, would Hulkamania have been jump-started like that in the WWF if it wasn't the anti-American hating Iron Sheik, if it was anybody else, any other heel, would it have worked like that? Would it have like gotten that hot in the WWF? No, uh, I would. You know, you, you could put, you could mix and match heels, mm-hmm. you know, of that era. But I think, considering Hulk Hogan was the all-American guy at that time, uh, the you know the, the the beach bum, blonde, tanned. And here you got this Iranian American hating SOB. It was absolutely the right choice. And of course, remember, Iron Sheik took out another All American guy in Bob. In Backlund. Bob Backlund, yes, yep. You know, so the, the whole setup was perfect, and Hulk was so hot at the time. Iron Sheik was absolutely the choice. He was the go-to. I think he was the best choice, but. I personally think no matter who Hulk Hogan would have gone against at that time, Hulkamania was going to run wild. It already was running wild in the AWA. So to to take that and go to New York on the, hate to say this, on the grander stage, because it is New York, I guess, technically Connecticut, but... You know, uh, in the we've just always called it. Hey, I'm gonna. He's going to New York. Yeah. Um, but I, Hulk Hogan was going to have his rise no matter what. Um, but again, going against the Iron Sheik, yes, the best choice. I gotta say one thing about the passing of. Uh, actually, let's go before the passing of Iron Sheik. Probably one of my favorite personalities that I would follow on Twitter. Fuck Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Fuck. I I mean, and, and by the way, it was all a work. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was all a work. Fuck Taylor Swift. Fuck the Jabron. Yeah. He, it, he was absolutely hilarious. And I think he just developed that cult following. And mm-hmm. I give him credit. He kept the gimmick going. He yes. did not break kayfabe. So, Kaz, thank you. Thank you for keeping that alive for, uh, well, at least until you've passed away, and I will miss those posts. And one other thing about Cosro, arguably, he came from, arguably, the greatest training camp in the history of professional wrestling. I mean, absolutely fun. You look at that, and it was a who's who of who of stars that were going to be appearing in the seventies, eighties, and well, even into the nineties. Yeah. So, who was it? Tell us briefly, Joe. Who was in that camp? Oh, you, you, 
and, and, and Mick, correct me if I'm wrong on some of these, but it was Cosro, um, Playboy Buddy Rose, Buddy um, Rose I, Sergeant I, I, Slaughter. Sergeant Slaughter. You know, and, and in that era, you know, that same era where Vern was running these camps every year, mm-hmm. Rick Flair was in there. I mean, let, let's not forget him. Of Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor. Yeah, it was just a remarkable, remarkable training camp. And, and Cosro, God bless you, as Bobby Heenan said, I forget what WrestleMania when they were doing the uh, the old timers legends uh, battle royal and Cosro was making his way to the ring. And Bobby said, by the time he gets here, it'll be next WrestleMania. <laughs> oh, it was, uh, I think that was uh, 17. That was the, oh. uh, the, the gimmick battle royal. And he won because he couldn't go over the top rope. That's right. He couldn't by the time he, he by the time he gets to the ring, it'll be WrestleMania 38. There you go. Yeah, and you know, and Kaz could barely get under the ropes, let alone you know get over the top yeah. rope. But God bless him, a legend, and he'll never be forgotten. Iran number one, Russia number one, <laughs> USA two. There you go. Excellent. I just need to. Know, who's going to tell me to go fuck myself in all caps every day now? Everybody. Everybody. I'm here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Joe, every morning, I want you to tell me in all caps on Twitter, go fuck yourself. Well, in lieu of uh, doing that today, Chris, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Careful. The, man, the man's choking. Oh, right. I was not expecting- it was not me. I did not have my hands on his throat. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let, let's get to the business at hand here, guys. Uh, it's part one of two, so we're going to break this up. Uh, so let's go ahead and just get right into it here, guys. Uh, look at my spreadsheet. And we're going to start with a couple of the early ones. And first of all, um, kind of Mick, take me through the, the, the first couple of ones here. I'm going to let you set it up because these are ones that are important in the sense that they were not doing many of these angles on right. TV. Is that correct? That's correct. I mean, it wasn't, it was not crash TV back then when you had a million different angles going at one time. Uh, and wrestling fans today just don't understand that. I mean, they don't get it, and I'm, I'm not angry with them. I understand completely. It was a different era. They would very sparingly uh, do an angle on television. And one of those, and a couple of people actually remembered this, that is the former AWA Tag Team Champions of the World back in 1962. That's Doug Gilbert on the left and Dick Steinborn on the right. And they were called Mr. High and Mr. Low because uh, Doug Gilbert was the aerial attack and Dick Steinborn was more of the mat wrestler. They did an angle back then when Gilbert and Steinborn were teaming up. Dick Steinborn was an amateur photographer, allegedly, and he was scouting this tag team, the Kolmakoff brothers, Ivan and Carol Kolmakoff. That's them. They're, they're holding the leash. They're not, they're not on the leash, uh, the <laughs> Kolmakoff brothers. And the angle was that Dick Steinborn would take his camera to ringside and he would photograph and scout the Kolmakoff brothers for a future match. Well, turns out, as the story goes, the camera that he used was a hand-me-down from his dear old grandfather. And uh, needless to say, the Kolmakoff brothers at one point decided they had enough of Dick Steinborn shooting pictures. They not only attacked Dick, but God damn it, they broke the camera. They Yes, I know, Joe. They took that 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 camera, that oh, old brownie. Sons of bitches. 
It was it was just horrible. And you know, for, for a kid, I, I'm looking at this and I damn near I, I damn near lost it. Uh they, they smashed the camera on the TV studio floor. And with it, of course, went the, the footage of the Kalmakov brothers and everything else. But the fact that it was an heirloom, a family heirloom, and that, ladies and gentlemen, was how big wrestling angles were in the day. You could make a mint off somebody's broken camera. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> and the Kalmakovs eventually won the world tag team title, by the way. What, what I like about that? is the simplicity yes yeah. and, and and i'll add that to me that's what made to me made it a little bit more believable you could believe that not not a mark henry impregnating some you know may young at at 89 years old or whatever whatever it wasn't a far-fetched angle it was something yeah. that you could believe that helped tied in to what at the time was a much more believable product if you will yep. perfect yep and it would and again ladies and gentlemen we're taking you back just to kind of give you that history of yeah like joe said the simplicity of how easy it was to get something over let's talk about the the next one here guys the stan kowalski and the joe scarpello knee drop again here you go the 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 basic most simple premise in the world, Stan Kowalski and Joe Scarpello. Uh, Stan, of course, Minneapolis native, again, former world tag team champion along with Tiny Mills. And Joe Scarpello, there's Stan. There's big Stan. Don't ever call him the big K. He hated that name. Uh, Stan Kowalski. Joe Scarpello, on the other hand, was a, a friend of Vern Gagne's, a tremendous amateur wrestler from Iowa. And uh, Joe was a pretty good little pro. And the angle that they did was they were going to test the stomach muscles of Joe Scarpello uh, because Joe was in terrific shape. And Stan Kowalski offered to jump off the ring rope onto the stomach of Joe Scarpello because Stan said, you're never going to withstand a 280-pound guy coming down on your stomach. You lay down, I'm going to do this. And, of course, Stan jumped on his throat. Uh, Stan, the, the dastardly Stan Kowalski, he must have misfired. You know, Stan said it was, an, you know, it was an accident. He didn't have his trajectory quite right. But instead of going on the stomach, he went and, and landed on the throat of Joe Scarpello, put Joe out of action. The interesting thing is, wrestling in the day was perceived as a sport. They wrote it up in the Minneapolis Tribune. They actually wrote an article. And that's incredible. I mean, that that's incredible when you think about it. Isn't that something? They, they did. They said Joe Scarpello has been injured by a knee drop from Stan Kowalski, and he is out of action. And they, they took it seriously, or at least seriously enough uh, to appeal to the listeners. But uh, Joe Scarpello, a great, great amateur wrestler. Joe is about 5'7", you know, and uh, Stan, of course, about 6'3". But again... Jumped that knee right into the throat of uh, of Joe Scarpello. Early on angles in the AWA. I love the simplicity. I really do. Just uh, it, it. God, it's just such a different era. I totally. I, 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 totally. I, 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 I do miss it. Um, God. 
Yeah, I got it. Well, yeah, yeah but, but but it's simple. But I got to say the brilliance of it. Sure. The brilliance of the simplicity. Just a simple jump off of the top rope, not doing what you say you're going to do. You go across the guy's throat. Mm-hmm. Boom. You got instant ticket sales. I love it. And, you know, just as an aside, if you think about it, when they made the movie The Wrestler, they kind of uh, brought that back because, as I recall, Ray Stevens did his bombs away top rope onto Jack Cutter, uh, who and he killed Jack Cutter, who actually was played by Joe Scarpello. So, uh, you know, history kind of repeated itself. But again, the very early days of wrestling when people believed. Well, back in that day, Mick, wrestling repeated itself quite often. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, what, you know, you, you stuck around, excuse me, long enough and were a fan long enough, you'd see mm-hmm. a, a similar angle, we'll say, just with a couple of different people. And, and it was so enjoyable. And I mean, you know, admittedly, I, you know, this is before my time, but you guys are talking about the simplicity. You can enjoy it more. I just get the sense that you can enjoy it more because not everybody has to be a fucking expert about things. Like everybody's got, you got to break down every little thing. It's like, just sit back and enjoy the stories. Let these guys do their job. You are a fan, sit back and enjoy it. Not everything has to be dissected in a hundred different ways. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. All right, let's go to the the next one. Two Hall of Famers. Uh, Tell me about the Crusher and Mad Dog. I'm going to love this one. And Joe and Chris, we have seen this on YouTube so many times. We've talked about it on the show. The feud between Mad Dog Vachon and the Crusher was legendary. Of course, they eventually wound up teaming up with each other, as most enemies eventually do in wrestling. There's Crusher in in all his glory. That wasn't uh, necessarily off the Mad Dog Vachon. He's just eating strawberries. That's it. That's it. Yeah, he he kind of missed his mouth there with the with the fork and the strawberry. Um, but the angle is legendary. People still talk a dog, and he, uh, he apparently got into the uh, the same uh, strawberry pit. Uh, but Crusher was working over the dog, ran him into a ring post. Uh, the dog bladed and unfortunately went a little bit too deep. Uh, Crusher did not either he didn't notice or he just wasn't paying attention because he continued to work on the spurting blood injury of Mad Dog Vachon, kept pounding away at it. Uh, the only guy who realized, apparently, how serious it was was Roger Kent doing <laughs> the announcing, and Roger yelled and screamed for, let's get some help for this guy. You know, he's going to bleed to death or what have you. Uh, Mad Dog wound up with 26 stitches that night. It was legitimately a very serious injury. And uh, to this day, I don't know what Crusher was thinking. When I, <clears throat> when we revived the AWA library in the series of pay-per-views, that match was one that I targeted for one of the early shows because of how big of an angle it was back at the, back at the time. And when I was fortunate enough to find it in the AWA library, that was one of the, the tapes that Vern didn't record over, thankfully. But I watched that, and I, I, I was just like, oh, my God. So I, I was on Roger Kent's side. Somebody get out there, stop Crusher. Crusher didn't know 
that Mad Dog had cut so deep. So he just kept going to try to build on this angle. And you look at if, if go and look at the clip. It's like somebody had posted the 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 pay per view that I had uh, produced. It's on YouTube. That I know for a fact. But when you watch it, Crusher was absolutely insane. He had those wild Crusher mm -hmm. eyes going, and he was attacking Mad Dog. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh shit, he really <laughs> Mad Dog <laughs> is in trouble here." Quick side note on that angle, I've said it before. The very first main event that I ever attended as a very small child, I was guessing about four or five years old, somewhere in that range. If I'm off on the dates, sorry, but I'm going by memory of a young child. First main event, St. Paul Auditorium, Crusher versus Mad Dog in a cage. I was hooked well you can't get any bigger than that i mean when you when you're a kid like that's that's i mean that that's that's your big time moment right i mean that's your two legends your two icons in maybe the, the steel cage used to be what they call the blow-off match now you got all sorts of matches it was a steel cage that was it and chris you got to remember too the uh, the the use of the blade was still kayfabe back then mm -hmm. uh, it was about 15 years from being exposed so nobody was getting on any internet that didn't exist back in the time and saying, boy, did he cut himself too deeply? They thought Crusher rammed this guy into a post and damn near killed him. So again, different era. The believability of wrestling was off the charts. And as a quick side note on that, no, they did not use blood capsules. Oh, please, yeah. It was a blade, blade inside their taped wrists. In fact, if you look back a lot of the old footage, if you saw a guy that came to the ring with taped wrists, you knew. Oh, by the way, and he never really <laughs> did tape his wrists. I even recognize that. as It's like, yep, we're getting blood on this one. <laughs> Speaking of something that it's not blood, but it might be more painful than blood. Tell me about Larry Hedig and Hank Meadows' sunburn. Oh, We've talked about this one before, and, and it is, it's a, a legendary moment on All-Star Wrestling. Hank Meadows, uh, not to be confused with uh, another Hank Meadows, who I believe we're going to have a picture of here in a moment. Hank Meadows weighed about a buck twenty, uh, dripping wet. That's, that's Hank Meadows, the chef at WTCN TV. So good, uh, good, because I, I, want, I wanted you to give me, I saw this picture, and I desperately desperately wanted context on this yeah I added not, that one i knew mick would clarify love it it's not jackie gleason uh that is in fact hank meadows who was a had a, a a cooking show on channel 11 shared the same studio as the all-star wrestling though so in a sense you know that hank meadows did have a tie-in uh but this particular hank meadows uh, that uh, got into the ring with larry hennig was about a buck 20 he had skin about as pale as sheamus and he had bleach blonde hair. And this guy, uh, he looked like a Q-tip. And uh, that's Hank. That is Hank. Uh, Hank Meadows. And that's the way he got into the ring to wrestle Larry Hanning at All-Star Wrestling. Yeah, just like that. <laughs> Stayed out in the sun over there at Lake Calhoun a little bit too long before he came in to wrestle Larry. It was a two out of three fall match. 
and Hank came in there, and he looked like a picket fence that had been painted red, uh, but with a couple of spots missing. And and Hank, unfortunately, <laughs> felt the wrath of Larry Henny. Uh, Larry enjoyed the fact that Hank was sunburned. Uh, Larry did. Uh, let me put it this way: uh, Hank Meadows was covered in in handprints. Uh, from Larry Hennig at the end of the first fall. Oh. Larry unloaded chop after chop to Hank Meadows as if to say, what the fuck are you doing going over to Lake Calhoun and then coming over here to wrestle? Hank Meadows could not appear for the second fall. Larry Hennig, to my knowledge, was the only guy in the history of the AWA that won by forfeit due to sunburn. And uh, poor Hank... Uh, he, he looked like he should be on a butcher shelf somewhere, like in, in the in the front case with the rest of the hamburger. And uh, of all people, not Larry Hennig. If you're going to get in the ring with somebody else that day, well, you might survive. But uh, Larry took full advantage of the fact that Hank Meadows was was lobster like oh and uh, and poor Hank. I mean, no, oh, oh, one after another and. Yep. Knowing uh, uh, Larry as I did, and uh, I, I got to add Kurt into there, I've got to believe that when he saw Hank Meadows come in like that, that was all intentional. I mean, oh. it, it basically an in-ring rib to, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to just start smacking this guy. And I guarantee you Larry in his mind was laughing his ass off with every single chop. Oh, and I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so painful. Like, I just, oh, my God. I just, the whole thought of somebody having to forfeit because of a sunburn. I know it's such a, it's, it's yeah, it's such a jerk thing to, to think about, but it's so funny to think about. Yeah, I don't know if he, if he legitimately had, like, third-degree burns or something, or if he just scared shitless and didn't want to go back in the ring and, you know, Give Larry another shot at it, but uh, uh, great memory. That would be 1970s-ish uh, AWA. Give me a day. Give me a, a location. And uh, how long was the match? Tell me. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to tell you. I, I could tell you, but I'm not going to because I want to antagonize. I just want to needle, you know, certain people out there that, you know. I need details, Mick Karch. No, I, 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 I'm no authority. I'm no, no ballpark it. No, no. fine. Screw you then. Let's just move on. Okay. Uh, the East-West connection. The, I got to admit, the more that we do these shows and the more that I've watched on YouTube, the more I really appreciate the combination of Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura. Uh, tell me about the uh, George Kadaski and Kenny J. Adrian Adonis and Jesse Ventura. Adrian, of course, was the workhorse in the ring. Uh, Jesse was the workhorse on the microphone. Uh, they were going to be headed out east. They were going to be leaving the AWA for a little while. And uh, there they are. There they are, Adrian and Jesse in all their glory. They were going to be headed to New York. So there was. Uh, it needed to be a setup for them to leave the area and what better way than to have Wally come out and suspend them. And the best way to suspend them was to have them lose a fall to Kenny J and George scrap iron Gadaski as Roger Kent screamed, all Gotham will be dark tonight. 
uh, when Kenny and George went over. I believe, I, I don't recall specifically, I think it was Adrian that got pinned. I'm not positive. At any rate, there's there's a Scrap Iron. God love him. George Gadaski, one of the all-time classic guys in the business. And his tag team partner, equally as great and as wonderful a guy, uh, the late sodbuster Kenny J. Well, at any rate, after Adrian and, uh, and Jesse lost the fall, on a sunset flip to Kenny J and George Gadaski, they went berserk. And uh, they, they beat up George and Kenny so badly, Al Darusha came in the ring and, and got stomped on and no soul to stomp from Adrian Adonis. And Wally Carbo, of course, the height of all insults, they tore Wally's blazer. They tore it right off of him, which may have been more painful than even the Hank Meadows sunburn. Uh, and at that point, Wally, you know, you are suspended and true, not through TH. You're suspended and true. Get out of here. And they did. Uh, they went to New York, but one of the all-time great angles. I love it. I love it. I love it. That was another match that fortunately was not recorded over and was part of those AWA pay-per-views. Uh I don't remember that happening. I must have missed that episode. And, of course, no internet, no you know replays and so forth. But when I found that match, I knew immediately that that needed to be included. Yeah. In regards to the East-West mm -hmm. connection, Mick, you hit it right. In my opinion, those two complemented each other um, as good as, if not better than any tag team to me that the AWA had. Uh, Hercules Cortez and Red Bastine I could include in there possibly, but Jesse, magic on the mic, and Adrian, God, could he work in the ring, even when he ballooned up and mm -hmm. became the alter ego that uh, a lot of fans remember from the uh, from uh, the, the mid-'80s. The, um, the pink, froofy... However, you the, want the, the flowery, more the, the, the larger version of gorgeous George, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I like what you said about tag teams there, Joe, where we look at them now, and a lot of them happen to be they happen to be similar in skill set, but I feel like the ones when we're talking about these angles, they, they do, they were two different individuals, the dynamics work because they were so different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. And you, you, you have more of them now that they're teamed together. Um, first thing that pops mind, like the fabulous ones, you know, the two guys, they looked alike. They, 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 they were like twins rather than a team. Mm -hmm. and, and one thing you got to add to this is that they gave George and Kenny a real shine back then because these guys had been so loyal. And if you were going to have two guys go over at least one fall on Adonis and Ventura, what better two, what more beloved guys than Kenny and George, the crowd went apeshit. They just loved it. Yes. Loved it. And, and this just proves that yes, Kenny J and George Scrapp and Kadaski did actually win matches. They did. That's correct. And that's this is when the enhancement talent getting a win actually meant something. There and you it, go. It, yeah. it catapulted into something. Like, guy gets one now, and then, like, two weeks later, it's forgotten about. 
Yeah, and we've got uh, we've got more stories like that uh, with the enhancement talent getting mm-hmm. the win as we uh, proceed in this show. Yep, and uh, I, I know Joe and I were just chatting here, Mac, while you were talking about that. It's just kind of a, a sidebar here, you know, live production meeting. We were going to do two shows, but we've still got so much to do. We, do we want to do three shows with this? Because I, I don't want to rush through things, but this way, because we've got a few that we want to get through here, but I want to make sure each one of them gets their time. We let it breathe. You just want to do three three shows instead of two? I absolutely would. And and that's that's just barely scraping the surface. I, I want to just implore everybody. If, if you think we're missing your angle or your favorite memory, we're, we're going to get to it. There is so much in the mm-hmm. history of the AWA. And, yeah, I, I think we can easily get three shows worth of memories. So I would encourage people, you know, let's let's keep going. If you got a, a memory from All-Star Wrestling, send it to that email address, the AWA Unleashed at gmail.com. And in, in show two or show three, we'll try mm-hmm. to get to it. I'm all for it. You got my vote. All right. AWA Unleashed podcast at gmail.com. There we go. Jesus Christ. At least give them the right email address. <laughs> Sorry. I uh, My mic was on. Sorry. Uh, let's get to the. <laughs> Bob, Bob oh. Geigel and Sky Lolo. Bob Geigel and Sky Lolo. Again, this is <laughs> not a lot of people remember this one, but I sure as hell do. Texas Bob Geigel, uh, who, of course, was a great AWA wrestler, great amateur wrestler out of Iowa, former NWA president, uh, Bob Geigel, uh, very close with Vern Gagne. When Bob came into the AWA area, he was a heel, uh, tag team champion, very, very tough guy. Bob was from Algona, Iowa, and somehow or other, he wound up being Texas Bob Geigel. Well, you know, (laughs) it's wrestling. Uh, Ivan Koloff was Canadian, and, you know, all of a sudden he, he was from Moscow. Uh, but Bob Geigel uh, had kind of a short fuse, and he is listening on the sidelines while midget wrestler, or small person, as they like to say today, Sky Low Low uh, was being interviewed in the interview area by Marty O'Neill. That's not Baron Von Rasky's kindergarten picture. That is Sky Low Low, ladies and gentlemen. And Sky you know, had a voice like he was on helium and he was also Canadian, French Canadian. So when Sky talked and, and seriously, I'm not being disrespectful. He sounded like, like a French Canadian munchkin. He really did. And so he's cutting this promo with Marty O'Neill with the interview backdrop. Hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to shut my eyes, Mick. Give me the, uh, the sky low, low. Bonjour. Okay. So that's kind of the way, that 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 sky would talk so he's he's doing this this promo i tried joe i tried well what do you want me to do you know my, my throat gets stuck like that which you guys would love but you know <laughs> uh so sky was going a little bit long like i am on this segment and texas pop came in and picked up sky lolo by the throat now ladies and gentlemen no footage of this exists so you got it you got to picture this now here's sky lolo being hoisted up by Texas Bob Geigel by the throat, and Sky is still facing the camera. His eyes are bugging out of his head, and Texas Bob throws Sky Lolo into the ring, which was about 15, 20 feet away from the interview area. Well, 
you didn't see Sky's trajectory or the tail of the cat, but you saw the the aftermath, which was Sky low low laying in the ring. And as Sky is going up, the last glimpse you had, he honest to God looked like a missile. I mean, this poor guy, you see him going out of camera range. He's flying about 35 miles an hour to the ring. And Chris, I think you have another photograph, if I'm not mistaken, not necessarily of that particular incident, but Sky apparently at some point uh, wound up in the same position. There, look at Sky there. That's Sky on the left. And midget wrestler Little Beaver, Little Beaver, always one of my favorite names in, in wrestling, uh, Little Beaver is attending uh, to Sky. But I assure you, that's kind of the way that Sky wound up when Bob Geigel threw him 30 feet from the interview area into the ring. Uh, so, yeah, so Sky, I guess, was used to it, uh, looking like a long dart. But, uh, you know, in, in this particular incident with Texas Bob, uh, that interview was, pardon the expression, cut short. Classic. Cla I, I don't remember that one, but... Oh, I, nobody does. Yeah, I mean, uh, but what uh, year was that about, Mick? Was that 60? That would be probably 62, 63. Yeah, I, my family wasn't even in the country yet, so... Yeah, poor Sky. Uh, it's uh, not a good thing. I, I mean, I've heard, you know, other stories of like Sky Lolo when they would be on road trips, they would put the um, um, the, the, the little people in the trunk of the car mm -hmm. and then they're driving down the road. They pop open the trunk and all of a sudden you'd see a couple of um, little moons uh, appear from the back of the trunk. But then when they would shut the trunk back down, of course, the boys that were driving, they'd well, they'd start ribbing them. They'd slam on the brakes, and all of a sudden, you just hear tumbling into the back of the car. Anyway, you so, didn't have contraband in your in your trunk when you crossed the border back then. You had the little people. Yeah, yeah. You had the sky lolos and little beavers of the world. <laughs> you never want to take a little beaver across state borders. No, no. Oh God, no. No, no. It, let's get into something a little more serious here, guys. Uh, Greg Gagne, Black, Black, uh, Black Jack Lanza, and Bobby Heenan. This was great. Uh, and it was so simply done. Uh, Bobby Heenan is out there for an interview. And he's, <laughs> excuse me, he's promoting a tag team partner, a mystery partner, that he's going to be bringing to the Twin Cities to wrestle against the High Flyers in a match. Uh, there's Bobby in his days as a, uh, as a commentator. Innocent Bobby Heenan. I'm sure he didn't mean any harm, huh. uh, but but he was he was kind of teasing who this mystery partner was, and the mystery partner turned out to be Blackjack Lanza. Well, Greg Gagne was a little tired of Bobby Heenan playing games with who his mystery partner was going to be. Uh, there's Blackjack in all his glory, one of the toughest guys in the history of the business. Greg came out and he slapped Bobby Heenan across the face in the interview area and at the time man that was something and even gene okerlin was just absolutely appalled look at greg look at greg there he's got that look in his eye that looks like the kind of a guy that would come out and weasel slap some guy on television but he did it to bobby heenan and again the simplicity of the angle to get it over just slap heenan across the face 
and uh, for playing games and not revealing who the tag team partner was, brilliant. Again, just love the simplicity of it. And I mean, that angle, it's easy. When you have Bobby Heenan involved, you're going to have a successful angle, period. Got nothing else to add to that. Not saying that Greg and Jim didn't do great at it because they did, but you throw in Bobby Heenan and you throw in the simplicity, absolutely brilliant. Well, I think that that shows the talent of somebody like a Bobby Heenan, like a Greg Gagne, like a Black Jack Lanza, where kind of going back to the beginning of this show, Mick, the simplicity, but then also the ability for those guys to make it work when it's just so basic. Because there, are pro- you know, some people out there probably could not make it work. You, you need all the layers and the bells and whistles. I, I, to me, it's all about how you execute it, and that falls squarely on the people in the ring. These days, a, a guy will study his promo for 45 minutes or an hour beforehand in the locker room to make sure he's got every line down right. This was one take. Greg, go out and slap Bobby. Bobby, sell it. And, and that's that's all it took. And it really. sounds so much easier. It, it, it sounds so much easier. It's like, this is what you tell them. They go out and do it. It's it's not overcomplicating it. Yeah, 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 of course. The, the talent would have bullet points. Okay, here's the town. Yeah. Here are the sponsors. Vern would tell them, here's my buddies that are going to be in that area. Make sure you tell them. Just hit the points. Add in your own flair, your own taste of what you want to do for your character and mm-hmm. deliver it. And way back, this was all live. And I mean, the stuff today is live as well. But as Mick said, they're given the full script. And sometimes they can pull it off. And sometimes it's like, quit reading the fucking teleprompter when there's not a teleprompter there. Well, because if you've got these recorded promos, these these scripts, you go out, you screw up a line, you lose yourself. If you're there in the moment, you can kind of think about what you can feel it organically. But well, if somebody screws up a line, they have to go back and, and you know, you got to try and figure out where you're going to go. You can react off the crowd. I mean, we, we see it done all the time now. Well, and, and again, some some talent, some wrestlers have the ability to uh, memorize the script. And then if they screw something up, they're talented mm-hmm. enough to be able to cover for it. Yes. To, to, and you never know it. But you have some who you, you can see. It's like, well, why is the smoke coming out of their ears? They're trying to think of their next line rather than being able to to deliver it in an effective and personable way. Like this is coming directly from them, from their heart, from their mind. Mm-hmm. So not, not dissing any, not dissing any of the talent today. No, hey, it's just a different time. Mind. It's just a different, it's just a different time. I yeah, mean, things it, are just done differently. Exactly. And, and might much like it was back in the, in the day, some guys you should put on the mic. Some guys just keep off the mic. All right, let's get to one more here, guys, and, and then we'll wrap it up. And again, we were going to do three shows or two shows. We're actually going to do three. So we're going to do three shows. This is going to be the end of show one. And if yours, if you've got one, uh, we're not going in any particular order. Email us, Podcast at gmail.com. I'll make sure that I put up a banner for it next week so that way people have, uh, have that information. 
this one is, is very interesting to me. And this is a, a lot of people remember this. And this one's fairly newer in AWA history. Stan the Lariat Hansen and Wally Carbo. The, the reason I love this is because of how ludicrous it really was when you hear Stan's explanation. Uh, this was uh, Stan's initial foray into the AWA. He kind of came in and out a few times. Uh, but Stan Hansen, and there he is. I, I, and what's good about this is Stan is actually facing the camera. He doesn't have his glasses on, but the lights must be bright enough where he knew the direction of the camera. Uh, but Stan is involved in an angle on television. He's teaming up with Bobby Duncan. And I believe they are wrestling Tom Stone and Steve Olsonowski back in the day. And, of course, the, you know, the heels go crazy, you know, Hanson and, and, uh, and Bobby Duncan. And Wally Carbo makes his way to the ring because Wally's had enough. And he pulls himself up on the ring apron, and he's yelling at Stan Hansen, you know, get out of here, or whatever he's yelling over and over again. Stan went over and forearm shot Wally Carbo to the chest. Wally sold it like he was hit with a dumb, dumb bullet. He went down on the ring apron. He was quickly attended to by all the wrestlers, including, I believe, referee Kazro Vaziri at the time. And uh, there's Wally. Look at this. This grandfatherly type individual, never heard a fly in his life. Stan Hansen pops Wally Carbo. They carried Wally out. And it was really interesting to, to see the, the crew carry Wally out because Wally's, Wally's stomach was not the most, the, the smallest in the world. And it was kind of heaving in and out, you know, like Wally was a harpooned whale as they carried him off camera. But Stan Hansen's excuse was legendary. He says, I just came to the, and I'm not going to do his draw, but he says, I just came to the territory. I'm in the ring. I'm doing my business. And I didn't know who this guy was. He could have been some crazed fan. He could have been another wrestler coming into the ring and attacked me. So I defended myself. And, uh, and, and, and there you had it. And I'm telling you, if you, it's out there on YouTube. You got to look at the bump that Wally takes because seriously, it's like he went through a trap door, flat on the ring apron, all the wrestlers come out, police officers, everything else to tend to Wally. And Stan Hansen claimed he did not know who Wally Carvel was. Huh. Who did not know who Wally Carvel was back in the day? Joe, you knew. Oh, of course. No, if it was Stanley Blackburn, I, I get it because people still think that he didn't exist, but he did. Yeah. Um. Did Wally, do you recall Wally ever taking uh, a bump in another situation? That's that this situation is the only one that I remember Wally taking a bump. You know, I think that was about it. Uh, you know, back in the day, Wally was a referee. Uh, you know, before there was TV wrestling or what have you, what he would he would take bumps when the guys would attack him. But as far as on television, I don't recall, you know, over the years if Wally took another bump. Wow. One might have been enough for him. And that, and that just adds that adds to the allure and it just makes it look much more vicious than you know if he did it all the time. Chris in this day and age if 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 they would try to do this and Wally got popped the fans would give Stan a standing ovation. You know, they would think it was the greatest thing in the world, you know, yeah. hit him again one more time, one more time or whatever. 
But back in the day, yeah. even the fans in the studio, if you see this on tele, on uh, tape, they're appalled. Oh, my God, he just hit Wally Carbo. This guy really is berserk because now he hit the authority figure, and it was uh, it was believable. And, again, you're going back late 70s, I believe, maybe early 80s. When St- I think it was late 70s when Stan first came in. Yep, yep. And, you know, Mick, I understand what you're saying about how – the crowd or the fans would be different today. Um, and you're going to have, you're always going to have a few idiots out there. I'm going to think, and I'm going to say that Wally was so beloved by the fans that if it fast forward to today, if it happened, I still think there would be heat on Hanson. Again, you'd have an idiot or two, you know, pop him again. Mm-hmm. But when Wally came either to the ring or onto the interview set, you knew you were going to be entertained because Wally, Wally was like Laurel and Hardy rolled into one. He really was. He, he was this, well, I, I think we've got another, another uh, angle that we can talk about in the future about when Wally came out for an Ivan Putsky interview. We'll save that one for another time. But Wally was so beloved by the fans back then. I maybe it's just me wanting to believe that if it happened mm-hmm. today, they would have the same reaction. I would hope anyway. Well, Wally, as you said, was a beloved character, and and anytime Wally did come out on TV, something was going to happen. There was either a fine, a suspension, or a major <laughs> announcement. What Wally Wally could come out and do 15 minutes just trying to say the name Namalini, you know, let alone, you know, getting an angle over. So uh, th- this uh, this was uh, legendary, but it's out there. You can take a look at it. You know, Wally, the poor guy. God, he looked boom, and he's he's out. Well, and one final thing, and then we can wrap this up, um, Chris and Mick. But anytime that Wally Carbo's name gets brought up to me. Instantly, instantly, there's going to be fines and suspensions. One, probably one of the most yes. most famous phrases from AWA All Star mm-hmm. Wrestling was, "There's going to be fines and suspensions." Yeah, I, I, I at my work, I work with uh, Steve Thompson, who is a massive wrestler. We always talk old school wrestling fans, and he will say on the air. There will be fines and suspensions, and he knows it will pop me. And that it shows the influence, right? Some people say it, they don't even know where it comes from. Well, think was, about think about that. Yeah, he was a cultural icon. Whether or not you were a wrestling yeah. fan, you know, you're hearing the phrase fines and suspensions even today. And and one of Wally's other great lines was when he told when he told uh, Bobby Heenan or Jerry Blackwell, I believe it was. He said, I've got a fate worse than death for you. Forget <laughs> get a ring with Mad Dog Rashad. It was a fate worse than death for Jerry Blackwell to get into the ring with Mad Dog Rashad. Gotta love Wally Carbo. And they're they're legendary. They they're Wallyisms. That's what the boys would call them, is Wallyisms. We we could literally do an entire episode on Wallyisms and Wally stories. Some of them would be safe for an after-dark episode. 
trust. Uh, yeah, they're the you know un Uncle Milty. I mean Uncle Wally. Um, you know, legendary, legendary behind the scenes stories. We'll, we'll have to there. do. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do it. Uh, want to thank everybody for this again. This is one out of three. Wow. You want to support us? Hit us up on YouTube. Subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, like review. We're on Apple Podcast. We're on Amazon. We're on Google. We're on Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere that you can get your podcast. So, uh, you guys got anything else to add before we wrap it up? No, just encouraging the people once again. AWA Unleashed Podcast at gmail.com if you've got a memory from all-star wrestling and we're talking the studio shows we're not talking the big arena shows we're not talking the showboat something yeah. that you saw in all-star wrestling in those good old studio days that you want us to talk about on the air let us know and we'll get to it we absolutely will this is fun stuff so no whitewater <laughs> <laughs>